Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, financial statements, and then we will move on to ratio analysis. Before I do that, as part of our responsibilities to you students to get you involved in the RSOs here on campus, I bring to you Jada and Aaron from the uh, PSE, and they will encourage you to get involved. When is your rush? Uh, starts tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, okay. <laughs> so cancel your plans for a booze fest tomorrow and go uh, do a rush or something like that. Uh, without further ado, I bring you our PSC representatives. Awesome. Hi, everybody. So my name is Jada. I'm a Okay. And we do have the career and internship fairs coming up, so I would encourage you, if you want a job or an, uh, or an internship, go to those. You'll find me prowling around there like a weirdo. If you want to have me walk you someplace, I can be, I can assure you that I will drag you up to a few employers if you're having butterflies in your stomach about it, or if you want some help with an introduction to some, some of the companies. But anyway, moving on here, we have the numbers for the day, and as usual, I'm going to ask you to tell me about those numbers. What exactly, madam, is this a bull or a bear day? It seems like a bull. Well, you're, you don't say it seems like a bull. You say this is a bull day. Okay, bull. It is, well, it's a, it's a fairly good bull day, too. I can't see these numbers where the darn. Uh, no, it's not because I'm getting old, even though I am. I got a rather nasty eye problem from my teaching in, in another country this summer, so... I can't see you. Fortunately, I can't. You can't. I can't see you. Okay, Dow 30 up a quarter of a percent. S&P up two thirds of a percent, and the Nasdaq ripped snorting above one. Uh, one. It's up 1.19 percent. Again, you see that pattern so frequently. Greater risk, greater return, greater volatility, greater response to the news of the day. And in this case, it is actually a decent day on the street. And the good news, of course, also is that you have crude oil. Like I said, it was not going to keep roaring upward. It's kind of stopped itself. It looks like 88 is a resistance uh, price per barrel for the light suite. So we'll kind of hope. Notice how it's bouncing around and it tries to make a run for that 88 and then it backs off. So that's good news for us. Gas prices are still low. As I said, you've got a lot of gas in the supply uh, lines right now. So I wouldn't expect the price of gas to roar upward at all for a while. Now gold had a run and then it's chickened out and ran back down again. So it's well below its resistance at $2,000 an ounce, which is more good news. Now this is actually a strong day for a couple of reasons, but let me look over here real quick. Ten-year uh, bond. Now this is another. This is kind of an important thing. The yield is up. The yield on the bond is up three basis points, which means the price is down. Price is down. That means that buyers are getting off and selling. Uh, there's a sell, meaning that they're getting away from the safer instrument, bonds, and look at that, they're moving into the riskier uh, equities. Well, that's a good sign. That's a sign that there is a bullish sentiment 
in the market right now. Good news all over the place. So that's happy news. And although the euro has appreciated, it's still not really roaring, and so is the pounds sterling. They're both going up. The Japanese yen is appreciating. The reason it looks the opposite of that is because they quote the, the J USD JPY backward. And the reason for that is the Japanese yen is such a low value currency that it's better to quote it the opposite way so that you don't get tiny, tiny numbers. So the yen is appreciating, the pound is appreciating, the euro is appreciating. Okay, the dollar is weakening against the currencies. Well, that's probably because there's not an, there's there's an expectation that our interest rates are going to stay fairly stable. They're not going to increase. If they increased, the dollar would appreciate. But that's also what would make our stock market get scared and go down. So, good news. We're we're in good shape. And then moving over well, Nikkei had a grouchy day. It wasn't anything big, but it slid quite a, a it, for a long time today. It was sliding before it stabilized near the bell. And when the sun rose in London, we had a bull spike, but then it slid off. Then there was a there's a bull rally going on right now. I think the market, Jap Japanese market's going to, rather the London market's going to close if it hasn't already, uh, pretty soon. So there's that. Quickly looking around, and I'm going to pick on a couple of companies here, then then go in and try to gather up their um, uh, Colgate. Let me look at Colgate. Now uh, that's Colgate Palmolive, old company, very stable. As you can see, it's just not. And of course, we don't have any bid ask quotes on Colgate. That's Yahoo. Sometimes you just can't get numbers. So there, there you go on that. But if you look at the range, Colgate has traded in, even over the last year, that's actually a fairly tight trading range from about 67.84 up to 82.09. It doesn't swing wildly. And so it's kind of like right in about the middle of its 52-week range. It's a real dull company, which is a good thing if you're a, if you're a risk-averse investor. Look at that beta, less than half of the volatility of the world portfolio. Actually overvalued slightly if you look at that. That's a little overvalued. Uh, but... I mean, it's profitable, buck seventy-nine a share. Now, here's something weird. I remember now why I wanted to do Colgate. Look at the dividend. The dividend is a dollar ninety-two per share this year. The company earned only a dollar seventy-nine per share. Now, remember that the earnings they come down to that bottom line, and then the company pulls out its. Uh, some out to give to dividends, and the rest it reinvests. But here, you're seeing a company that is actually has a dividend that's larger than the amount of money it had per share to give to the shareholders. Now, the first, now again, let me emphasize that that's an odd thing to see. The company earned $1.79 per share. That belongs to the shareholders. They can give some of it to the shareholders and reinvest it in the company. In this case, you have a company that's going to give more to the shareholders this year than it earned for the shareholders this year. That, that's, that, that's a little disturbing. Where in the world would it get that money from to give that dividend? They're giving a dividend that is what? 13 cents per share more than they generated for the shareholders. Well, the first thing is, where would they have gotten that extra 13 cents per share for hundreds of millions of shares? The answer would be that they must have pulled it out of retained earnings. 
that's really strange that they want to give that dividend so badly that they'll pull out of their piggy bank to give the dividend. Then the next question is, why would they do that? The answer is a little bit complicated, and I'll, we'll talk more about this. But sometimes, let me think about it this way. Okay, you're my kid. You're my son. Okay? Now, I give you $500 a year every year for Christmas. Now, this, time, this year, I'm having a bad year. I mean, I, I don't really have that much, you know, in my pocket to give you. Why would I still give you that $100 this year? Because I'm expecting it? Yes. Absolutely. See, that's the thing is, if, if this company gave, is expecting a dividend of a specific amount, if they Colgate gives them a dividend that's less, that's going to freak them out. You're going to have selling of the stock. Stock price will go down. They'll be yelling at the shareholders' meeting. What the hell is happening? We've been getting these dividend checks growing at a constant rate every year. And what happens this year? It goes down. That's going to be trouble for the board of directors. So just to shut them up, we're going to give them the dividend that they expect. And that's something that's very big with companies, especially as they get older, is keeping them happy keeping their expectations of the company fulfilled on a continuing basis. Now, with young companies, they, they just kind of don't care. But as companies get older, it becomes really important to them. I even, in my consulting, there were companies uh, that uh, there was a, always a board of directors meeting. I think I've talked about this before, where after a few years, they said, is it time for us to give a dividend, start giving our shareholders a dividend? And the answer is not easy. If you give them a dividend, they're going to be very happy. But once you give them a dividend, it's, they're going to expect it from then on. And that's a problem. Because, yeah, we're having a good year this year, but we're still a young company. De demand uh, is uh, still highly volatile. Supply chain issues and all of that kind of stuff could hurt us. We've got to do some reinvestment. A lot of reinvestment. We've got to build this company up and the only way to do that is through the earnings or through borrowing so yeah you don't want to do this until you're sure pretty sure that you can keep doing it and at the same level so here we have a company that's going to pull money out of the piggy bank just so that their expectations the their owners expectations are fulfilled it's an interesting thing there. But otherwise, I mean, it's not like Colgate's going to die. I want to do one, one of these gain things again. Just keep writing these down, practice it, and you will be able to ace it on a quiz or on a midterm or final exam. When I do these, first of all, we're going to find a calculator, and then we're going to say, okay, now Yahoo. Yahoo says that in exactly one year, a share of stock would be worth $84.54. So, divide that by what you would pay for it today, a year previously, $73.93. And then always minus the 1. And then times it by 100 to get a percent. So... <coughs> According to Yahoo's projections, a one-year holding period capital gain yield would be 14.335%. That's darn good for a stock with such a low beta. And your dividend yield has to be added on to get that to get your total uh, return for the year, 2.62%. So Colgate Palmolive is going to give you a total return for a very safe stock 
at least according to Yahoo, of 16.97%. And I do this, uh, I'm doing this about every time now with one company, just so you can get the hang of it over a period of time. So there's that. It's not a complicated thing, but Colgate is a decent company. It's worth having a look at for just for some laughs. Now, just to finish this up with Colgate Palmolive, sec.gov. I'm going to go and pull up their financial statements. Filings, company filing search, Colgate Palmolive is CL. And as usual, you go to a screen where it's on the right side, 8K, 10K proxy and all that. You go to the 10Ks, you find the most recent 10K, which was in February, so their fiscal year is a calendar year ending in December. And you click on the button, Filings. You'll go to a screen with a blue button on the left side in the middle, Interactive Data. Now I'm going to pull down the financial statements for these. View, that's that red, view Excel document. Is there some reason that didn't work? No, it did. Colgate. There you go. Now, I'm going to take you through a few stupid pet tricks here now to finish up the subject of financial statements and sneak you a little bit into the world of uh, ratio analysis. Consolidated statement of income. That's your income statement. And then over here, nope, that's another income statement. There's the balance sheet right there. So I'm going to scoot that over so that it's with well, I didn't do that. Let's try it again. There's your balance sheets. Let me drive, try to put it right there. Is that right? Yeah, income statement, balance sheet. I'm going to try to find a statement of cash flows. Statement of change in the shareholders. There's your retain. Uh, okay, statement of cash flows. I'm going to try to scoot that over without scooting it too far. Balance sheets. So, nope, I didn't take it far enough. Let me see. Okay, there's a statement of income, balance sheets, consolidated, nope. Cash flow, I gotta move it over one more. I try to get these all together, the ones that are the most important for me. Consolidated statement of cash flows, balance sheet, let me move that over one. There we go. Okay. Now I've got everything where I kind of want it. <clears throat> okay. Now as far as these financial statements go, you're going to get problems in your homework. And I see that a lot of you have gotten through it already. But they're just like puzzles where you're finding a number that is missing based upon all the other numbers. A couple of things to keep your eye on. And you probably already know this from your accounting classes or somewhere else is that, uh, well, let me get over here to the income statement. Now, the income statement, notice that, oh, look at that. They actually report. This is a line that a lot of companies don't report now, is gross profit. In the chapter four, we really need that one. It's, one of the, it's a line that we use to calculate a ratio called the gross margin, and they've done it here. And you might have re recalled that I actually had to insert that line in a couple of companies. Now, another one that's a pain in the butt is um, selling general and administrative expenses. The question is, does that carry with it the depreciation and amortization? It doesn't say that in it, but it doesn't also doesn't list depreciation and amortization. So the question is, is it in there or isn't? If we go over here to the statement of cash flows, uh, 
we can get it right there. It's 545. Is that 545 already in SGNA right there or not? You'd have to look at the notes to the financial to see if financials to see if it is or isn't. Might not even be there. We're going to assume that it actually is in there for the time being. Other income and expenses, goodwill and tangible, intangible impairment charges. Uh, let, me, let me see if you know this from uh, your accounting. Uh, sir, do you know what goodwill is? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that store where you can get cheap stuff over. No. Can you describe it for me? No, no, no. The store is actually very good, though. I got a really fine uh, dinner jacket for like $5. It smelled a little funny, but you know. Okay, what is it? In a... like, uh, kind of like philanthropy? I don't know. Nah, not ex Well, in a way, I guess it would be. Think about goodwill like this. Okay. You have a company that's worth $50. I pay you 75 for it. So on the book, it should be listed as $50. The 25 would be like the goodwill. It's, it's above what the, market, what the market value of the company is. Like in a bidding war between two companies for a third company, they're going to bid that up way above what the company's worth. It's, you know, the winner's curse. So that extra value would be booked at good, as goodwill on it. Impairment would be something where you lost money on something and you charge that to impairment. Uh, as a matter of fact, in my own business, if I have my stuff in storage, my artwork in storage, I go in there and one of, some of the art has just fallen apart, the frame is rotted or something like that. I will make that an impairment charge, just something like that. Or when I have some of my lighting burns out way before I've depreciated, that's an impairment. And I just say, I, I write that off. It's like a write-off th there. So anyway, if we get down here to operating profit, that's EBIT, earnings before interest and taxes. And you keep on going down, you pay your interest and all of that. Now, one thing that we want to do right here, just I'm going to put in, uh, let me actually put that in as a insert a worksheet. Calculations, I'll call it. Whoops, I don't want to do it there. I want to do it down there. One thing that I would want to do is, let me expand this, make it bigger. I'm going to put a couple of scratch lines in here. Tax rate is one that I would probably want to put in, and that is 21% is what we're assuming right now as per the um, Tax Act of, 19, of 2017 is 21%. And that will be enough for us. And then we're going to do, a, do some more calculations here. But the one that we'll do here is NOPAT, Net Operating Profit After Taxes. NOPAT is going to be your EBIT, Operating Income, times 1 minus the tax rate. And so what I'll do is I'll take equals... And I'll come back up here, statement of income. I'll take my operating profit right there. And I will multiply that times 1 minus the tax rate. And that will give me my net operating profit after taxes. And then moving from there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fix some things that
depreciation. I'm going to put that back in there. Okay, so, well, as a matter of fact, let me put that here. Plus depreciation. Whoops, doesn't like that. Okay, fine. Not equals. Will you stop putting a stupid equal sign on it? I'm tired of it already. Put it in quotation marks. Ampersand plus. Quote. not being cooperative with me so I'll just leave it off there depreciation now that one is going to be equal to go over here to the statement of cash flows and I find that SOB right there I'm going to add the depreciation back and then I have a pair of little things the first one is going to be my capital expenditures. And for that one, I'm going to say equals, we go over here to the statement of cash flows. I said statement, of, there we go. Go down here to investment act, investing activities. Now the problem here is that this number, caution to you, this is going to be stated as a negative. In the notepad, in the free cash flow formula, which is what I'm doing, we subtract it. You don't want that parentheses there because then you'd be subtracting a negative. So what I'm going to do is before I even click that number, well, I will click the number, but before I finish, I'm going to go back and make that an absolute value. Oh, will you? What the heck? Oh, A. That's weird. Absolute. Well, let's try it again. It didn't like that at all, so we'll just say equals absolute. Okay, statement of cash flows. Now again, take the net, the whole thing. Now sometimes you'll see a book or some reference in uh, a media site that will say, um, just take the top line, capital expenditures. That's not really enough because there's some stuff in there that could be kind of heavy duty. You notice how the purchases of marketable securities, that was a pretty big thing. Okay, so I'm going to click the whole nine yards, close it off. There we go. Now the last one. This is the pain in the ass. This is the pain in the butt. I will do one of these on the midterm. So be aware that it could show up there. Now. And I'll put investing activities uh, as a side note there. Okay, so now we need net operating working capital change. The change from one period to the next. So we're going to do that as a side calculation. We're going to do 2022-2021. Now the first thing we're going to do is we're going to write the current assets and then we're going to do the current liabilities and then we're going to do the net working capital. Now the current assets for 2022 are on the balance sheet. Total current assets, 5113. 
For 2021, you can just scoot it across. The current liabilities for 2022 were total current liabilities, that one, and then you scoot it across. So the current liabilities 2022 were 4,004, and for 2021, they were 4,051. So the net working capital for 2022 would be 5113 minus 4004. I'm saying this in great detail so that you can follow this again on the podcast. And then we can scoot that over. So now, back over here on the main stream of these, and I'm going to upload this to files in your uh, Canvas folder, okay, this spreadsheet. Matter of fact, I'll do that before I leave today. The capital expenditures would be uh, change in networking capital would be equals how much they are in 2022, networking capital 22 minus networking capital in 2021, excuse me. So networking capital has gone up by 763. The way you interpret that is that the company's free cash flow has gone down by 763 because there have been more additions to networking capital than reductions in it from 21 to 22. That's a drain on cash flow. So put it in your notes like this. If networking capital, change in networking capital is positive, that's a decrease in free cash flow. If the change in networking capital is a negative, that's an increase. Change in networking capital, positive, the effect on free cash flow is negative. If the change in networking capital is negative, that increases free cash flow. Now these, on your next quiz and probably on the midterm, maybe the final, I'll just ask you something about this. I'll just ask you this. Get it in your notes, and then it won't be a problem. After a while, you get the hang of it, and you see why. But at first, just make it a mechanical thing, okay? So now, we are ready. Matter of fact, let me do something here. I'm going to make that sort of like a block there. Now, we can get free cash flow. For 2022. Free cash flow will be equal to Free cash flow will be equal to no pat add back the depreciation and amortization subtract the capital expenditures subtract the change subtract the change in networking capital and there's free cash flow I'll write this here just for your reference.
uh, these three. There you go. That should help you a little bit. Upshot. Colgate generated free cash. Whether or not it made a profit is irrelevant to us. What we want to know is, did it increase its cash for the period? If we look here at the income statement, I think it was profitable last year anyway. Net income. Notice, interestingly enough, um, income before taxes, net income, net income attributable to Colgate Palmolive. They reported profit of $1.785 billion. What we calculated was the free cash flow. It's not as positive. It's still good. It's still fine. But it is not as good. It's not as fine as it, as it appears from just looking at the income statement. The company's obviously in good shape. There's nothing wrong with it. And it's generated $466 million in free cash. And so, Interestingly, notice something. That tells us how they would have been able to pay a dividend larger than their earnings per share. It's partly because dividends come from actual money, actual free cash after all the bills are paid. And they had a lot of it. So they could afford to pay a dividend that was bigger than what they said they made on their income statement. And they probably had more. They can put money into other operations. So in other words, looking at the income statement, you might have something of a mystery. How could the company have paid a dividend per share that was bigger than their earnings per share? Well, there it is. It's because the earnings per share is just an accounting number. The actual cash they generated was something else. Never know. But anyway, that's sort of what that's all about. Now let me tell you, take you on here for a minute here. These are numbers that they talk about in the book. Now this first one, MV or MVA, is not a good idea. And we're trying to get people to stop using this MV formula. It's kind of simple. All you're going to do is take market value minus book value of equity. Okay, let me just do it. The market value, we can go here to Yahoo. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I took it off Yahoo. My goodness. Okay. Let me get Yahoo back up here. Colgate Palm Olive CL. There we go. The market value of the company, the market value of the company is the market cap. Price per share times the number of shares outstanding. That's what the market says the value of the owner, total value of the ownership is. How many shares there are times the price per share. So that's 61.121 billion. 61.121 billion. Let me try to remember that. 61. Point one two one billion. Now you subtract what the accountants say the value of the equity is. 
and you go back over here and look at the balance sheet, well, the accountants say that the, the value would be, huh, they break it up into two, total equity, there it is, 806. What? Are those the same number? Or am I smoking crack? The total equity is 806. Oh, that's in millions. Okay, so that I'd have to fix that. I'd have to turn that number into billions. Oh God, I should have seen that coming. Times a hundred, well, let me make sure I'm doing this right. Yeah, 61.121 billion. So that would be, in millions, that's 61,000. So, yeah, I almost got caught there. 61,121. Hello, kitty. Why don't I just do it the stupid way, the easy, the hard way? 61, 1, 2, 1, that's millions. And then that one would, I'd have to multiply that one, 801, 000, 000 times. One, one, two, three, one, two, three. I've got to put times on that. Oh, God, I swear to you, I won't make it this hard on an exam. Oh, will you shut up? I mean, damn. That's hundreds, thousands, millions, billions. And that 801 would be... 801, well, matter of fact, let me just try it, just write it down instead of trying to get fancy. It would be 806 million. Times one, one, two, three. Yeah, that's right. That's right, I guess. <laughs> no. Hundred thousand million. So that is actually the market value minus the book value. It's not a good measure, as you can see, because this is just the scale of that company is so insane. A more important measure, and we'll talk more about this on Wednesday, is what's called market to book. Now the market to book merely takes the market value of the company equals the market cap, which is what Yahoo, whatever Yahoo said. 61121 61121123123 I'm doing this carefully because I my units I'm screwing up units too much here and then you just divide it by the equity which was 806 oops 806 123 one, two, three. The market to book on the company is 75.83. In other words, they have taken the initial investments that were given by the shareholders, which if we add it up in dollars, historical dollars, comes to $806 million dollars. 
the market says that the actual value of all that investment is $61.121 billion. So essentially what we're saying is that Colgate, in the long life that it has, has turned every dollar into $75, every dollar of equity investment into $75 of equity investment. That's what market to book tells us. One more time, that's 75. When you take market value, market cap, divided by the accounting total equity, that's market to book. It basically just tells you how many dollars the company has created in value for every dollar that equity investors put into it, either through buying the stock or through giving up earnings that they could have gotten dividends on that were instead plowed back into the company. And I'm going to say this a couple of times because if, you, if this is clear to you, if this is obvious, I, I, I'm surprised. Now, the economic value added. This one is a... Here's the hard part. Here's how it works. You take NOPAT, okay, minus capital invested times the cost of capital. Now the real problem with this is someone's got to give you the cost of capital. Let me explain. No pat is how much they have earned this year in actual in in not counting interest expense. Capital invested, you would take the total equity and you would also add in long-term debt. Now some would say that you just take additional paid in capital, these two numbers, but it's a little easier just to take total equity. Let's say that I'm going to add a line here somewhere. I'm making a mess of this sheet. Insert. Cost of capital. Let's say that the cost of capital is 10%. So what you would do is you would take equals NOPAT times how much total equity plus debt. Times the cost of capital. Did I put in notepad? I thought I put in notepad there. I thought I put it in there. Well, let's try that again. I don't want to leave that out. Oh. Oh, I see. I see what I did. I screwed up there. I need to put it up here. Equals, apologies for that. I'm a little off my game right now. Equals notepad minus open parenthesis, the cost of capital, capital invested, which would be that be the capital, cost of capital. I'm going to take the total equity 
plus the debt that they've brought in to pay for stuff, close the parentheses, times the cost of capital. There we go. And that's the economic value. Now right here, this total cost of capital invested right there, that's your equity and your debt that have been put in, long-term debt. That's your equity and your long-term debt. That's the capital invested right there. And I'll put it right here as a note. Capital invested equals equity plus long-term debt. So that's that guy right there. This, is, this, measure, this measure has a flaw in it in the sense that this number would be dependent upon the scale of operations of the company. A small company would have a small EV. A giant company could have a giant EV. Like in this case, that's an enormous number. So it doesn't, you can't compare this one, the EVs of two companies of different sizes. That's the problem with the traditional MVA, market value minus book value. It doesn't, it doesn't scale it to the size of the company. Market to book does that. Let me, uh, I'm going to save this thing, file, save as, and I'm going to upload it later tonight. Browse. Um, financial report. CL. And I'm going to take this one off. I want to, I want to show you a couple more here real quick. Real quick. Take this off. Now, let's take another company really quick. Um, what am I thinking here? Um, I don't like that one. Oh, hell. Let's take Walmart. <laughs> God. Look at the market cap of that. Beta, super safe beta. Somewhat overvalued. No, not really. That's right about correct value. Definitely good earnings. $5.21 a share. A nice fat dividend. The whole nine yards. Doesn't look like that's much of a growth, though, from 164.26 to 178.09. Yeah, it does add in a 1.39% dividend. But I'm aiming at something else right here. Let me get this off here. Let me go back. And let me take on WMT. WMT. 10K. I think it's got a calendar. Yeah. Oh, March. They really pushed it to the end. Okay, let's download the Excel document. And I'm going to just go through a couple of quick things with you on it. Just uh, for for purposes of the homework and some illustrations, there's their income statement. God, there's their find their balance sheet. There's their balance sheet. I'll put that over there with the income statement. Now, statement of shareholders' equity, statement of statement of cash flows. Let me get that scooted over real quick here. Balance sheets. Okay, we're good. Now, real quick, just a couple of quick, dirty things. When you're, you're going to get a question like this, I'm sure, on the, in your homework, and I also ask it on a quiz or something. The current assets are listed in order of decreasing liquidity. So, in other words, the most liquid of your assets is your cash. The next most liquid is your receivables. Your inventories aren't really very liquid at all. And the prepaid expenses, you're, you're like, hell, you're ever going to get back your prepaid expenses. So in other words, 
the current assets go from the ones that are the easiest to turn into cash to the less easy. Now, on the other hand, current liabilities, those go from the most due, the most quickly due, to the ones that are less quickly due. Short-term borrowings, those would probably be like 30-day borrowings or, if, if, or less than that. Accounts payable, those probably 30 to 45 days, maybe 60 days. Walmart puts off paying its payables for as long as it can. And then accrued liabilities, those are almost like whenever we get around to paying them, we'll pay them. So again, it's in terms of how soon the cash inflow at the, in as current assets or the cash outflow in current liabilities is going to occur. Now you crank it down, accrued income taxes, well those, uh, Walmart will get around to it so someday. But anyway, okay. Now long-term debt due within a year. What that usually means is that they've got an interest payment coming up. That's, and you'll see other companies call that current portion of long-term debt. It's basically just what part of the debt you have of some 30-year, 20-year thing you have to pay within the year. Okay, so good grief. Lease obligations. That would be how much of a lease agreement you owe within a year. A lot of times with leases, like for example, I have a lease on a warehouse. It's a five-year lease. I have to pay the payments each year. So in any given year, I will have a finance less uh, lease obligations. That would be this year's payment on a long-term lease. In other words, it's a long-term obligation, but there's a piece of that that is due within the year. And that's, you know, that's a long, that's not immediately due, so that's why it's low on the list of current liabilities. Now, really quick, I'm going to just throw this one down for you. I'm not going to mess around too much for it, with it. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, let me just write it here. Okay. I'm going to take current assets. I'm going to say net working capital 2023, 2022. And networking capital, it would be for this one, it would be the current assets, total current assets, minus the total current liabilities. Well, isn't that it? Yeah, that's Walmart. And then networking capital. Take it over across again. Wow. Now the change would be this one, what they have this year minus what they have that year. Holy, wait. So the change in net operating working capital from one year to the next is 10, am I reading that? $10 billion net operating networking capital has fallen by $10 billion. So you tell me, is that $10 billion more free cash flow or $10 billion less free cash flow? No, it's actually more because they lowered their net working capital by $10 billion. So that means that that is $10 billion that they did not spend in the current cycle. Remember the formula. The formula for the change in net operating working capital is networking capital for the per current period minus the networking capital 
for the free previous period. So in their case, they dropped their networking capital by $10 billion. That means that that's money that they freed up over 2023. That's one of Walmart's secrets, is that they are able to do this. And I'll show you one of the tricks that they do. Look at their accounts payable. Look how huge their accounts payable is. It's a monster number all the time. Their accruals go up. But look up here. They lowered their accounts receivable. That's money that comes in. They held their inventory solid. But they look at this one. They dropped the cash in reserve. That frees up free cash flow. So that's why they have this big ass number here is because they control their cash, they control their short-term uh, financial situation so tightly that basically they finance their operations by not paying bills very quickly. Their cash conversion cycle is, neg is, is negative. They actually have what's called um, spontaneous financing. Their suppliers take care of it. See these numbers? That's what they're doing. They hold billions of dollars that they owe that they don't pay right away, in immediately. So that's, their, that's one of their tricks. Now as far as the rest of it goes, I want to do one, one quick thing here. Let's look at their balance sheet. Here's their total equity right here. See it? That's that number. What I'm going to do is right here on the side, I'm going to do market to book. I'm going to take the market value. Excuse me, market value. Well, come on. Oh, there it is. Okay, 442156. So I'm going to try to just use the numbers because I'm always 442. Five, four, six. Whoops, I'm sorry, I gotta put an equal sign on that. Equals four, four, two, five, four, six. So that's billions, millions, thousands, hundreds, divided by their total equity, which is, that's in billions, eight, three, seven, five, four. Millions, thousands, hundreds. So their market to book is 5.28 times. In other words, they have taken what the investors gave them, paid them. Historically, they, investors put in, bought stock, these, that's these two numbers, the historical amount that was paid for those, and this is the retained earnings at the end. That's how much in income, in cash, historically, Walmart has pulled in that it didn't pay back out in dividends. Now you take those numbers as the denominator. You take what the market says the company is worth as the numerator, the company's equity. If you take those two numbers, you get 5.28. Write this down. This is how many dollars Walmart has made for the shareholders of each dollar the shareholders have invested. This is the number of dollars Walmart has made for each dollar, for the shareholders, for each dollar that the shareholders contributed. So in this case, Walmart has turned every dollar that investors put in, <coughs> either through buying stock or through 
income that wasn't paid back to them as dividends. And they have turned each of those dollars into $5.28 over the lifetime of Walmart. Now these numbers are all over the place. You can see some of them huge, some of them small. The one thing that is troubling is if a company has a number less than one. If the number is less than one, they have turned every dollar of, share, of owner's, owner's money, shareholder money, into less than a dollar, according to the market. So remember that, because I could ask you a question. Which one of the, these ratios would bother you, would be a bad sign? And I'd give you some that would be a good sign. And I might say, book, uh, market to book, less than one. That would, would be one you'd say, that's a problem. That would be on a quiz or a test. And I'm not saying that we'll have a quiz on Wednesday, but I'm kind of saying we'll have a quiz on Wednesday. It'll be a surprise quiz. So please be surprised by it. That's all I have for you. Go home.